Hey contractors, welcome to the Contractor's Playbook. I'm your host, Michael Gogan, and on this podcast, we will be talking with experts in the industry and getting real about their failures, successes, and lessons learned. I'll be joined in studio by our producer, Isaac Moore. Isaac, another great conversation. Just finished up uh, chatting with Matt Mulholland, uh, now with C3 Group and a couple listen, companies. There. Listen to this bull podcast. Yeah. Um, he, he's quite a character. Definitely. But I, I loved just his selflessness. Right. And how he, you know, he just wants to improve the industry that he's working in. And he's yeah. very serving in that, you mm-hmm. know, education is a big thing for him. Um, research is a huge piece of it. He wants to understand um, what goes into storms and storm damage. And yeah. he's done a lot there. Um, what would be your biggest takeaway as far as like him as a person? I, I The conversation was great. Yeah, you guys will love this conversation. I think... At the end of the day, collaboration with other people and understanding that you you need other people in order to kind of help you get uh, further than you could ever get on your own, maybe, and, and to free you up to do the things that you're best at. And, and he'll talk about that. In Absolutely. Podcast. So Not, I think collaboration is collaboration. I would agree with you. I think he's he's really big on collaborating. Um, he'll, he talks about how important that is and how he wishes he would have done it sooner in his career. So yeah. you guys are going to love this episode. Let's go ahead and jump in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Contractor's Playbook. Today, we have a special guest. Matt Mulholland is going to join us special. today. Matt, who are we even saying you're with nowadays? Obviously, you listen to the bull. I am with Listen to This Bull. Listen to This Bull. And I want to get into that here in a little bit. I want to talk about that. But then you're a public adjuster, but who are we representing currently? Well, it is the right question to ask. Um, All Good has merged with C3, but I am doing mostly Listen to This Bull stuff. So... If claims come my way, there's actually a few different sources that um, are are handling those. Uh, C3 Group is handling the large losses, anything that's million dollars and up. Um, and then we're working with Coastal Claims, uh, which is rebranding as C2 for the smaller stuff. So it depends. Uh, but I'm working hand in hand with both of those companies to make sure that the processes are smooth and any... Uh, any issues are resolved. We are opening a school, a brick and mortar school called the National Claims Institute. And I think that is really all I can actually say about it. I, I just, yeah. That's all you can say. I love it. That's all. I can say. Uh, my goal forever was always just to educate people on the claims process, you know, and, and how some bullshit on both sides of the equation happens and how to avoid it, you know? So for me, it's really important that I'm helping educate the industry, contractors, public adjusters, even attorneys. 
So we're going to have some fun with this thing. But uh, as more details come out and I'm able to talk about more, which will be in the coming months, I'd love to come back on and tell you some more. That, that was a perfect segue to get another episode of Matt Mulholland on the Contractor's Playbook. I love it. Uh, and so I want to back up the then a little bit because you you know, you know were with All Good Adjustments. That was your, your baby. You started the Listen to This Bull podcast and then recently the merger with C3 Group. Tell me... And I think it, it makes complete sense to me that you would start and have a hand in a brick and mortar um, school for this. But where did the Listen to This Bull podcast come into play? Like, what led you to say, hey, I'm a public adjuster. I want to start a podcast. Well, that's a good question. Because to be honest, I had no idea that I was going to do that until like a, maybe a month before. I, you know what? I enjoy making videos. I enjoy explaining complex policy issues in a way that's somewhat entertaining because it's boring shit otherwise, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's god awful. Um, so I wanted to do it in a way that was a little bit entertaining. I think I do okay with that. So the, the podcast was kind of an afterthought along with the videos that we make. And we release a video bi-monthly that gets into different things. Uh, ruined my kitchen once squirting ketchup all over the place for a, a cutoff finger. That was great. My wife loved that one. That was her favorite. The kitchen still has ketchup in weird places. We're finding it. I thought my dog would have found it all by now. That That isn't the case. My dog sucks at dogging. Is that a thing? <laughs> I think so. It, it is now. We're going to make it. Yeah, it, it is now. On the contractor Dogs. playbook, if you want that to be a thing, that's a thing. That's um, a thing. That so, is. So the podcast came from the videos and the idea that we wanted more interaction from our audience. So there aren't any podcasts that were available at the time that really had an open format question and answer. So I wanted to have a live show where we had experts on, we had a topic, and then people could in the comments, and sometimes we even pull them onto the show, ask questions to the experts, to ourselves. I've got Remington Huggins, um, an attorney in Georgia, Huggins Law Firm, who's on the show with me constantly so that I ever get to the point where I might accidentally be uh, acting as an attorney without a license. I could just look at him and, and he can take all that liability off my shoulders. I mean, it sucks for him, but you know, that's his problem. Uh, well, <laughs> I hope he sees this. I'm, I'm, I bet he does. I mean, our audience is growing mightily. But uh, Matt, I've got to also ask with that, and then I want to dive into some actual public adjusting because I, th you, I've watched a lot of your at least live videos, but you haven't mentioned the hat. And while the hat, I understand, is kind of just a funny thing. It's definitely become your, your stick. Um, tell us about the hat. This is my hat. I've been wearing this particular model of hat for 15 years. Every time I go outside, cause I'm white. I mean, I have a red beard. I burn instantly. It's, it's a thing that happens to Irish people. Maybe you don't know where are you from? Are you German? No, I've got, I mean, I have a little German in me. Um, I've got some Czech in me. Okay. 
So either way, you're an axis power. So we're cool. So anyway, so the hat just became something that I always did. And people started recognizing me for the hat. Um, I never really meant for it to be something that was branded as me, but nobody wears a hat as regularly as I do. I really ought to get a sponsorship from this company. This is a Tilly hat. This is my eighth one. I think they're like 85 bucks a piece. I really like them. They're yeah. comfortable as hell. You can pack them down. You can ball them up. You can throw them in a bag. You can take them anywhere. And then suddenly people started saying stuff about my hat. And then at one point, it kind of started talking to me. And I have some videos where it's annoying the shit out of me. And it came, came became a character. So, so. well, I mean, I, I think it's kind of unique that we're talking about your podcast and why you started it and those things and, and the hat on our podcast. But the main question is, do I need to find my own hat? That, I mean, I don't have one right now. I've, it doesn't have to be a hat. It could be anything. I, that's what I'm saying. Boxers like, on the outside of your pants or something. Yeah, yeah, that like, would be unique. Yeah. yeah. Anything that makes you stand out. TJ Ware's doing a good job of standing out with, with the, the bright suits and stuff that he wears. You know, it's a, uh, it's a peacocking kind of a deal. You want to gain some attention from your attire. So what are you into? Do you want to put like some beads in your beard or something along those lines? Well, I mean, my, my beard doesn't even compare. If you got a bull ring. Yeah. Like a bull ring. That would totally work for you. I can see it. Yeah. I think that would go over about as well with my wife as the uh, ketchup episode did with yours. Your dog might appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, let's get into, uh, let's get into some public adjusting here because okay. I I'm familiar with a lot of public adjusters out there, and this might be the wrong thought, but you seem to be very data-driven with what you're doing. I've watched a few videos. One uh, here recently I watched, you were at a storage unit, and the splatter and where the impacts were and... I felt like I learned a ton in the two minutes that you were live about the direction that the the hail came from and that it was falling and that. And then we had a conversation offline, I don't know, a few weeks ago about, you know, how how far hail is traveling and, you know, where it's landing based on where it originated and when yeah. and, and a lot of very scientific in that is, do you feel that, obviously you enjoy that, but does that really aid in what you're doing when you're out trying to prove loss and those kind oh, of things? Tremendously, tremendously. Um, 10, 15 years ago, it didn't matter so much. These days, every adjuster seems to be an expert in some way and they want data. I mean, the insured is required to prove their loss. If the adjuster says, no, we have to be able to prove our loss. If the loss is proven, then they have to come back with something that proves that there's an exclusion for that. So having all that data makes a huge difference, especially when they're requiring specific data. There are carriers right now that will deny coverage just because there isn't a storm date listed on CoreLogic's weather data system or something along those lines, which is flawed in itself. Every weather system out there is flawed. So, I mean, even Hailtrace, who I love, I mean, they're fantastic. Uh, but the information is telling us where the hail started from, not where it hit. And there's winds pushing that stuff to the side in certain directions. 
And it's very complex. And we're trying to figure out ways uh, to, to see where it lands based on math and data and weather analysis and NOAA layers and all this kind of craziness that yeah, I, I totally geek out about some of this uh, nerd stuff. But ultimately, photographs do the trick. So I, I was I was talking to, to Mike about starting a project that is shared amongst all company cam users where if hail falls, you can download the program for free, get attached yourself to that project and upload photos of you taking measurements of the hail, largest hail you can find. And if everybody takes pictures of hail, wherever it is they're at, homeowners, anybody, then we can see based on the location and the geotags from the metadata of those photos, we could actually make a map on where the hail fell and what size it was when it fell there. Maybe we could even get AI to determine based on the photos what the actual measurements are and put that into it automatically. I'm just saying there's a possibility of doing some pretty cool stuff. So there absolutely is. And I two things. First off, I, I don't run every idea I hear. I hear a lot of ideas from my friends in the in the field. I don't run every idea up to the CEO. Um, but I definitely I, I vividly remember when we were having that conversation and I was on my way to the airport and I called up our CEO and I was like, hey, I don't know what this looks like. Very raw idea, but this is this is cool um, because there's I see value in it for the contractors, um, public adjusters, attorneys, but ultimately it's valuable for the homeowners to be able to prove that even if CoreLogic didn't say hail fell here, I'm I'm in my backyard and I'm holding a chunk of ice and my roof is going to have a story to tell that says, yeah, it was hit by hail and I need this covered as uh, a loss. And so, you know, so many people have those stories where the insurance company says hail didn't occur. There's evidence all over the place that hail occurred. But especially in the video that they can show someone and say, look, this was at my property on that date. But the weather data doesn't show that it fell at that location at that time. And it's just because the weather data is at a certain layer. Wherever that hail was observed in the, I don't know all the jargon for, for a lot of the weather data, but it can detect when there's particulate in the air at certain layers. And it'll say, well, this is likely hail at certain sizes based on the data that's coming back to it. But that's at that layer. It's falling. At some point, it gets below the radar, so the radar can't see it anymore. Where is the wind in those locations? Which direction is it going in? If it's falling, we had uh, Matt Phelps from APEC Engineering on our podcast uh, a couple of weeks back, which really brought a lot of this to light for us. They had a claim where hail fell six, well, actually it was four miles away from where the core logic said that it was, four miles. But he made some comments. If a hailstone that's two inches in diameter falls at terminal velocity from where it originates, it falls from so high up that it takes, it can take as much as 10 minutes to hit the ground. 10 minutes. That's ridiculous. If you've ever gone skydiving, you get like three, four minutes tops of fun and it's over. 10 minutes this hail is falling at terminal velocity. If it's as 60 mile per hour crosswinds, 10 minutes is one sixth of an hour. 
it could be as much as six miles away if it was 60 miles per hour consistently in one direction, pushing the hailstone the whole way. That's that's a long distance. On a map for weather, that's a huge difference. I think it could be beneficial for a lot of people, but just being able to prove the loss, which is important to the policyholder, important to the public adjusters, we have to be able to prove the loss. We need more data to do that sometimes. This would help out tremendously. You guys have the platform ready for it. It'd be so simple. Yeah, uh, that's what I told him. I was like, it sounds really... No, <laughs> um, no I, it's definitely an awesome idea. And I love anything that can make a contractor's life easier, make a homeowner's life better. That That's what we're in the game for. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here from the contractor's playbook, but we will be right back with more from Matt Mulholland. This episode of the contractor's playbook is brought to you by Company Cam. Company Cam takes the hassle out of managing your different softwares and systems. It's easy to plug in your existing CRM, invoicing software, and more. Try it free, no card required, at companycam.com or download the app in your app store. And we're back for more from the Contractor's Playbook. Here is Michael Gogan. It leads me to my next question, and you alluded to it a little bit ago about how, you know, 15 years ago, maybe I didn't have to do this, or maybe that wasn't quite as important. Um, We often hear just one side or the other. Let's try to figure this out in a couple minutes. What in the world has caused this change in the last 10, 15 years to where we're like, we're looking at this as an extreme crime scene every time that there's property damage um, today. And it's, it's, it's wild seeing all of the posts of look at this and there's, they're saying no hail fell or look at this. And they're saying that it's, you know, not damaged or this or that, or it's old damage. What's changed in the contracting world to cause all this? Well, I'm glad you asked this question because it, it is bullshit on both sides right? And not one side is causing all the issues. You know, in the last, well, since 2008, since the big recession, uh, roofing roofing sales became a major thing. Roofing companies popped up all over the nation because that was about the only job that you could really get at that time. And everybody was doing great uh, because everything was getting bought. The adjusters were looking at blisters and they didn't know any better. They thought it was hail. So claims were filed and claims were bought. Um, And then in areas where the storm started drying up, the contractors still needed more business. A lot of them resorted to vandalism, creating fake hail, creating fake wind, and filing frivolous claims. There is a notion among contractors that just because it is an act of God occurrence that the policyholders' rates can't go up. And that's false. It's not true. But it's being fed to every contractor from other contractors. And so they're throwing jello against the wall for something that doesn't really have enough damage to qualify as a full roof replacement, just to see what happens because they don't think that there's any consequences. The more that that happens, the more that that occurs, the more claims that are filed against an insurance carrier, the more likely it is that insurance carrier is going to go to the Department of Insurance and say, hey, we need to increase our rates. We need to do this again. We need to keep doing it. And the insurance department, in order to keep their constituents voting for them, can't always say yes to that. So then the insurance companies have to put stricter guidelines in their policies. 
because up until about seven years ago, most of the insurance companies were using ISO forms, ISO documents that were very standardized. Uh, not all of them, but most of them. And now almost every single one has a very unique policy with very unique language. And they're getting into, there's roof endorsements that remove coverage specifically for roofs. There's a lot of new policies and new laws that are coming down from different states specifically about roofs, which leads you to believe that the majority of these problems come from the roofing contractor in the world. There's not frivolous claims from water losses. Water losses, yeah, I mean, you could fake that, I guess, by, by you know hitting a pipe with an ax or something. You know, one of those weird uh, firehouse uh, calendar shoots where the dude's like, half naked with an ax or something and he swings because he's an idiot that he's beautiful obviously he's stupid and he hits the pipe in it that could be a for i don't know that would actually still be accidental so that would still be covered i'd take that claim besides the point there's more vandalism being caused on the roofing side so there's more frivolous claims being claimed on the roofing side so if the insurance company has overhead and they have to hire their insurance adjuster that's licensed and they have to send out an insurance adjuster for every claim but suddenly there's more claims than there really ought to be. Now they have to have more overhead. They have to have all the additional insurance related to the liability. They have to have workman's comp related for all of those insurance adjusters that they're sending out. And it's expensive. And now, well, how do we save money? Well, we can reduce the policy and piss people off and lose customers, or we can stop sending out insurance adjusters that are licensed and start sending out third-party administration companies, TPAs. And those third-party administration companies don't really have the authority or the know-how on what is or isn't covered. And we can tell them that this is your guidelines and you have to abide by these guidelines and then we'll make the decision. That way, you're not the one being the bad guy, we'll be the bad guy. And it it restrains those adjusters from being able to do things on site that they normally would have been able to do. And now, insureds that have legitimate claims are having problems. And a lot of it, not all of it, stemmed from roofing contractors. But you think about how many roofing contractors that were in the world in 2005 versus how many are now. There's like five times the amount. And those additional 400% are all storm restoration contractors, not retail. So imagine how many claims are being filed that normally weren't filed prior to that time. It's kind of a new industry, but it's creating its own problems. I don't know if there's a actual fix for it, to be honest, but there are legitimate claims. And as long as you're filing legitimate claims, then the carrier should apply the coverage legitimately. And they need to do that for the legitimate claims. Absolutely. And I I think my brain goes to, and we're on the contractor's playbook here, so I love bringing that sports analogy into play, but say that in this case, the, the adjuster, the insurance side of things is the defense. How important is it that maybe we as contractors evolve our offense just a little bit? And you know, we can try the smoke and mirrors thing, and that may work here and there. But I think that the contractors that I talk to that are still pretty successful at getting claims paid for and, you know, running their course, bringing the necessary ones to a public adjuster, those things, they've evolved with how they do document a claim, how they go through the full process with the homeowner, how they're doing these things. Um, is that a safe assumption to say that? 
the defense has improved over the last 15 years and offensively you as a contractor you need to evolve how you're you're handling these claims i think the rules of the game have changed and every claim now has its own set of rules because every policy is so different. Um, I think that it's more important than ever for contractors to be at least minimally educated on what an insurance policy has and how to read a deck page at a minimum. And I think it's okay for a contractor to read a deck page. Uh, Interpreting policy language, probably not. but every claim is a little bit different because every claim has slightly different policy language. So you can't apply the same rules from one claim to the next, like you used to be able to. I think those successful contractors that have been doing this a long time have gained enough information, gained enough knowledge on what they're looking for in a deck page to know roughly what it is they're doing, where they're getting enough volume that they're seeing the trends happen as it occurs. You know, uh, at All Goods Peak, we were handling 2,500 to 3,000 claims a year. And we were able to put these massive spreadsheets together with all kinds of information. And we could figure out rough trends based on what the insurance carriers were doing with that. If you're not doing enormous volume, that's hard to really see. A lot of PAs that at some point realize they can make the same amount of money by handling five large losses a year that they would have doing 3,000 a year, small claims. Uh, those five large losses are very complex and very different, but they don't get to see the trends anymore. So it changes things. I think contractors have the same issue. If you're a contractor today and you're handling claims the way they are today, then part of your playbook should be getting an expert involved a little bit sooner than you did before Uh, for specific carriers, for sure. Um, but if there is a carrier you've never dealt with that you're not used to getting coverages from that you understand and know the players involved, uh, you should probably get a public adjuster involved. I know it's not the most popular opinion among contractors, but it, it seems to be getting worse and worse to the point where if you don't have a PA involved, you're going to end up accidentally screwing the insured over by not realizing that something was in the policy. I've seen policies that have ACV only for roofs and it's not written on the deck page at all. The only way we knew about it is we got the full policy and we went to the, how we pay for a covered loss and it said it there. There was no indication whatsoever on the deck page. And that's an offshoot. It's rare that that kind of thing happens, but every policy is so different these days. It's, it's really a different game than it used to be. So change the, uh, change the way you play it. 100%. 100%. I was I was thinking of the analogy, you know, for the old and Nebraska here football's a big deal and it's just that smash mouth football of it didn't matter who your opponent was 15 years ago, what are you going to do? We're going to run it right up the middle. And we're going to just keep running it right up the middle and it's going to work. And defenses, insurance companies have evolved and like you said, every policy is a little different. So that means week in and week out, job in, job out, I'm seeing a slightly different defense. You know, a lot of the same principles are going to apply week in and week out or job after job, but you've got to be able to adjust to those different policies that you're you're running into, the different exclusions. Um, and even outside of roofing, you know, we could talk about non um insurance claims type stuff. And it's the same thing. I think you said it really well when you said you might not want to, 
it might be really humbling for you as a contractor to say, I've never run into this type of a job. I've never played or coached against this type of a team. I need to call somebody. And it, you know, obviously in the insurance world, you're calling a public adjuster um, and then maybe running that up the flagpole to an attorney. But maybe you're in the in the painting world. Um, it, I don't need to call a public adjuster, but maybe I run into a job that's larger or different than anything I've ever done before. And having the humility to reach out to somebody and say, hey, what do I need to do here to make sure that I don't royally screw this up, I think is very important. And um, I think public adjusters should do the same thing when they when they come across a claim that they've never dealt with. You know, there are other public adjusters that are willing to help give their experience. I like to collaborate with other PAs. Part of the listen to this poll environment is is collaboration. You know, we're giving away information because we learn from everybody we talk to as well. So it's it's almost fair. But if I ever come across a claim that I've never dealt with, I'm calling a few different PAs, depending on what type of claim it is. I know which ones are better at what types of claims. I'm going to call them. I'm going to collaborate. I'm going to get some information from them and not pretend that I know everything because I don't. <laughs> not even close. For sure. And, you know, but you have to swallow and you need that humble pie, right? In, in order to realize that it's okay to, it's okay to look stupid in front of people. You're not going to lose business just because you look stupid every now and then. I don't mind looking stupid, clearly. <laughs> well, Matt, I, <laughs> I, I think we could talk to you for days. You already invited yourself on to another episode, which <laughs> very well done. Like no one's, no hey, one's done that. We're fairly new in the podcast, but no one's, you know, just slipped that invitation in where it's like, yeah, I mean, there's no way I'm not going to be on another episode. I've got this great thing that I, I teased just ever so slightly today. Um, but I always like to end with some questions around, you know, for you, your past experience, 15 years. And we've talked a lot of, you know, the humble pie and some of those analogies I think were really good. But for you, if you could do those last 15 years over or at some point in there, you learned something or you started doing something just ever so slightly different that you said, man, I wish I would have started doing that five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. What's that one thing that you say, man, I wish I would have started doing this sooner. I came to this conclusion only recently. I had to give up on being the big shot, you know, the owner of all good and, and how great we were and look at our glory. And I'll get, I'll get closer to the life of this. Oh, look at us. Oh. If I, by giving that up, and becoming part of a bigger team, I'm able to focus my efforts on something that I'm best at, which is educating others. By taking off those additional hats and allowing it to be somebody else that gets some of the glory. You know, it, it's it's a pride issue almost keeping on to that. I, I wish I had done that years ago and, and sought out others that I could have some collaboration with. Um, with my company, you know, by, by expanding our horizons and getting all good to join a larger 
uh, corporation. I mean, we're, we're instantly in every state and we've got the ability to do things we never had the ability to do. I personally have the ability to do what I'm best at and I can hand off the things that I'm not. So I think it's hard for people though, when they, especially when it's their baby, because, you know, all good is very special to me. Obviously, any entrepreneur would know when you have a successful startup, what it feels like uh, to think about walking away from that. I don't think I really walked away from it. I just evolved it. And I wish I had thought about it that way a long time ago. That such a great answer. Um, I figured you were going to go something with like the beard oil that you use. And if only you just started using it sooner. I also started using wet wipes and that is a huge difference for my wife. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I'm going to make an analogy here and I don't know your, your college football affiliation or fandom, or if you even have any, but what you just said, and I'm talking about the wet wipes or the other thing, the, the other thing, the other oh, okay. piece. Yeah. It sounds a lot like Nick Saban. Really? It does. And well, Kate would love to hear that. He would. I, I'm yeah. not going to let him listen to this episode. But the reason I say that, <laughs> the reason I say that is, you know, Nick Saban's really, really good at organization and management and getting people to perform at a high level. But he always has the best team underneath of him as far as coaches. And he says, you know what? Maybe offense isn't. He could do a really good job at coaching offense, but he says, I could hire somebody that or bring somebody onto our team that does it better. And I, th I think that you see that pretty successfully done in their part that they say, hey, if we just collaborate some of the best coaches in the nation and we get them all here to Tuscaloosa, we've got something pretty good. And so I think that with what you just said and how you said, Hey, let me collaborate with C3 and let me, let me do what you do best. I would also venture to guess what you do best happens to be one of the things you like to do the most as well. They it's always this case. They it? usually yeah. go hand in hand. And so um, now you're doing what you enjoy and what you're best at. And you've aligned with, you know, the team at C3 and you guys are, you guys are going to do big things for the industry. I'm, I'm confident in that. You already are. It's uh, huge. I, I know, you know it's, it's so huge. You can't even share it with us, but next episode, you're going to be able to tell us all the, uh, the cool things there. Um, we I don't have, know about the next one, but probably the one after that. Oh, uh, you're going to come. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> the, the only thing I did learn is that if we have Matt on the podcast, that he needs to be in your studio because, um, yeah, he needs some headsets. He does. Man, it's rough. It was. Yeah. So, but I've been trying to tell him. Well, we'll just let I him listen. talk to his wife. Yeah. We'll let She'll him get it done. We'll let him yeah. listen to the end of this and just my little troll will maybe get him, get him over the edge. <laughs> it but, might. I hope so. Um, Matt really appreciate you jumping in with us today. Great. Great having Thanks you on. Um, and we will have you on again. So let, yeah, let, a few more times, at least, at least. Yeah. yeah. But let me know when, when we can, uh, let the cat out of the bag as far as the uh, brick and mortar goes and we'll have you on and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, okay. my, my background in education, I, I love anything to do with that. So I think do that, you? that'll be a fun, fun conversation for us to have. 
I think we will have that conversation. I'm probably going to be texting. Well, I have, my podcast comes up in 20 more minutes. So obviously you're going to watch that. I am. So maybe, maybe, I mean, you'll know exactly when it ends because you'll be, you know, on the edge of your seat watching the thing the whole time, I'm sure. And uh, maybe we could talk immediately after that. I, I do want to talk to you. If, if that's where your background is, I'm looking for individuals in this industry like that. I'd like to talk to you. Absolutely. That'd be great. Matt, appreciate you. Collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. All about collaboration. Appreciate you joining us today Thanks, and we will, we'll have you on down the road here. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers indeed. Well, Matt, big thanks to you for jumping in on the Contractor's Playbook for episode number seven. Uh, Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Surely more to hear from him down the road as well. But for now, for Michael Gogan and myself, thanks for tuning in again to the Contractor's Playbook.